a man who is such a huge <laughs> a man who is such a huge pervert, he's not even allowed to have garbage bags at his house. Then we travel to a haunted cave in Arizona, where a group of Apache raiders made a final stand against a rival tribe. To this day, people say you can still hear their screams deep below the earth. But the true story may have an even more brutal twist. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I'm laughing because the introduction I just recorded is so absurd. I'm going to put it at the end of the episode because you guys can hear what I... When I edit it out of shows, I just love how it kind of just trails off because I realize it meant nothing. But I'll put that in the end of the episode if you want a little behind the scenes thing. But we don't want behind the scenes right now. We want front of the scenes. And walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now is one of our superstar new Patreons. Everyone take a picture, take a selfie with Walking Stick. Everyone give a round of applause to Walking Stick as he's walking into... Dead Rabbit Command. Joaquin, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Really means a lot when I see you guys talk about the show online. Super awesome. Joaquin Stick, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys for the Jason Jet. We don't take this out enough. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed all the way out to Cheltenham in England. Flying high, flying proud, never give up, Iron Eagle. Walking Stick is flying the Jason Jet out to England. We're in Chettleham, England. That's in Gloucestershire. We're walking down the city streets, and we see a guy named Warren Harris. He's 46 years old. He's kind of waving at us. We're like waving back. We're like, oh, that dude's nice. He's waving to us. Must be a normal man. He must not be why we're here for this story. And then we see him, like, as he's walking down the streets, every time he passes a garbage can, he starts going, uh, uh, and we're like what is he doing an impression of like a billy goat and he walks to the next one and then he's like oh yeah yeah i want to put stuff in there and we're like what we're like in a <laughs> we're standing awfully close to him and we can hear his moans and he walks to the next one and he's like oh yeah you would fit you would fit in there really well and we're like gross he's looking <laughs> he's looking at you He's looking at you when he said that one. And I'm laughing. I'm laughing so hard. You're like, Jason, can we end the story? End the story right now. Let's go home. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh. And we follow this guy into his house. I'm like pushing you in front of me. I'm like, go go into the house first. Go into the house first. So we go in there. And we're in Warren Harris's house. He's this 46-year-old man. And he's like, join me for some tea and crumpets, please. We're like, sure. Yeah, we love disgusting stuff. So we walk in there and we're drinking some bland, watery, gross drink and eating crumbly food. And we go to throw it away because we're polite. And I go, where's your garbage can? And he goes, oh, garbage cans. <laughs> he puts his hand on your leg. <laughs> he puts his hand on your thighs like, ooh, garbage cans. Oh, I love garbage cans. But alas, the horrible totalitarian government of Britain won't allow me to have garbage bags. We, we we reluctantly ask, why? Why aren't you allowed to have garbage bags? This story is so weird because I read a couple articles on this and it doesn't specifically say how he popped up on police's radar 
over the garbage bag thing. So I had to do a little bit of forensic digging on this. We're going to tell the story in a weird way. But what happened was, as far as I could figure out, in he was on parole for a sexual assault. He did nine years in prison for it. Then he's on parole. And in 2010, the police are doing a sweep on his place. And they find that he's been watching videos of vacuum porn. And vacuum porn, you're like, damn it, Jason. <laughs> really? Really? Like, can't you just go a week? One week without talking about some creepy fetish I didn't know existed. Vacuum porn. Vacuum porn is what you think it is. Well, actually, no, it probably isn't. You probably think it's someone having sex with a vacuum, and that's not it. It is people, specifically in his case, girls, being vacuum sealed in garbage bags or really any type of bag, any sort of plastic will do. So they get sealed in and he gets sexual arousal from watching women get sucked into vacuum bags. They sit in the garbage bag and they put the tube in the garbage bag and it gets skin tight on them. And not just that, because that's disturbing enough. He also likes to see them suffocate. So if they're a little head sticking out of the bag and it's, I mean, it's gross either way. (laughs) He's allowed to watch those videos either. But some of the videos, they have plastic bags on their head too and they're suffocating. And even his defense lawyer said when he was trying to defend this creepo in court, the defense lawyer goes, I thought you'd have to go to the dark web for this stuff. It's on YouTube. This stuff is on, I was able to, I was easily able to find this stuff. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I I go, oh, you can find it on YouTube? This must not be accurate. And I typed it in. I typed in, I don't think I typed in vacuum porn. I think I just typed in like garbage bag vacuum. Tons of videos. Tons of videos of girls being sealed in garbage bags. I didn't see any of the ones where they were suffocating. But please, please don't send it to me. You're like, oh, you missed out on the best stuff. But there's lots of videos of girls sealing themselves in, in garbage bags. It's super weird. But anyway, so since 2010, he they said you can't watch vacuum porn anymore. And he's like, oh man, he's watched later list on YouTube. He has to delete it. On July 18th, 2021, there was a breaking update to this case. There was another surprise visit to his house. They found him. He was still watching vacuum porn. That's an 11-year period. He's still watching vacuum-packed porn on YouTube. He went back there. He says that he watches it twice a day. He's like, officers, listen, I just watch it twice a day. What's the harm? He watches it twice a day, and he watches it for two hours each time. So, yeah, that is, he, the judge said you cannot own garbage bags at your house. And the judge also said, listen, you've broken parole twice, but this time it's super double serious. If you watch it again, I will throw you in jail. Of course he's going to be looking at it. He's probably looking at it the second he left the courtroom. He went to Subway and got one of their plastic bags for the sandwich. And he's like, oh, you're going to be seeing my foot long later. So if you ever go over to someone's house and they don't have garbage bags, <laughs> you're automatically assuming this, right? Whenever you go over to someone's house and you're like, hey, where's your garbage at? And their eyes shift from side to side. They're like, oh, we compost. I bet you they really, I bet you anyone who composts actually has a court order against them that they're such perverts that they can't use garbage bags. So they made up this whole hippie thing. So, you know, we just throw all garbage in a big old bucket outside. Or inside. I I was at a girl's house the other day, and I'm trying to, like, microwave a burrito, and sitting on her counter was a mushroom growing. It was this disgusting, 
thing of coffee grounds and orange rinds and who knows what else, right? Organic material in this pot. And I thought, why is it when I feed ants on my windowsill or I don't clean my bathtub, it's covered in orange algae, which helps it stay sticky. You don't slip in a dirty bathtub. Why am I gross? And girls leave after, after we've had sex. They never leave before. But afterwards, they leave and they go, man, your place is gross. Sure, sure, I got naked with you. But your place is gross. Why is that gross? However, if I had a pot of disgusting stuff melting in my food space, that's fine. If I'm just throwing garbage outside of my window and someone goes, why is there a bunch of fish bones out there? Looks like Heathcliff. Looks like Heathcliff walked on by. Oh, I'm composting, good sir. Don't dare judge my environmentalism. It's not because I'm having sex with garbage bags. I don't know why you would assume that. The guy's like, well, I didn't think that at all. But, but now I'm thinking that. Why is that normal? We talked about that on yesterday's episode. Consensus is reality. And if everyone... Why is that normal? But I'm disgusting. I'm not. I'm just ahead of the curve. You like that? <laughs> you like that Joker impression? You're like, I had no idea what that was. I shut the podcast off when you said your bathtub was orange. Walking stick. Let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind. Chentleham, England. We are headed all the way out to the little Colorado River in Arizona. <laughs> It's June 1878. And at the little Colorado River in Arizona, there's a Navajo camp hanging out there. And they're just like, they have like their tents up. And the Navajos are doing like their morning stretches. They're getting ready to like go hunting. And some of them are like going to go like catch fish. And the kids are going to run around and play. It's just a beautiful day, right? Everyone's going to do whatever you do on a sunny... They look over and they see one of the Navajos has an arrow sticking through his neck. He's bleeding out on the beach of the river. And then someone goes, oh no, dude, that happened. (laughs) That's super gross. No, don't look, don't look. And then another arrow pierces his heart. Oh, I needed that to live. And then a volley of arrows begin to fly down from a nearby ridge. And they spare no one. Men. Oh, women. Kids. I don't want to do the noise of a kid getting killed. There's just these... Apache raiders have appeared out of nowhere. And who they don't kill with the arrow, they kill with the blade. Shlink! Or whatever they had. What were the hatchets? What are those things called? Um, I'm sure they had swords. It's 1878. I'm sure they've taken a couple off of dead soldiers at this point. But anyways, it doesn't matter. They're killing people. What were those things they had? Were they hatchets? Tomahawks! Tomahawks. I had to make the noise. I had a picture. It's spinning in the air. Tomahawking people. Whoa! And they lay waste to this camp. There's only three survivors, three young Navajo women. And the Apaches have other plans for them. So they throw them on the back of their horses and disappear into the Arizona wasteland. The Navajo leaders find out about this raid. They know that now one of their outposts have been destroyed by these Apache bandits. So they assemble a team of 25 Navajo warriors and they say, you will go off and fight them, kill them. Or, barring that, we do have a tradition they can actually sue for peace. They can give us all of the stuff they stole plus all of their stuff. And if they do that, we'll let them go. But 
You have to find them first. And the 25 warriors go, we will. <laughs> they practice this. They all say it at the exact same time. It sounds magnificent. So then they ride off into the wilderness of Arizona looking for these Apache warriors. They can't find them. And they figured it would be kind of hard because a, a, the raider group of the Apaches, they have to have a hideout somewhere. They're not just doing this. <laughs> They're just going out into the middle of a flat, barren wasteland in Arizona and being like, no one will find us here. They know they're probably pretty well hidden. They're looking all over for them. They can't find them anywhere. They get to Canyon Diablo. And they're like, well, this if we we're gonna hide, if we we're gonna hide someplace after murdering a bunch of innocent people, we'd hide in a place named after the devil. So they begin to scour the canyon. They can't find them anywhere. They're starting to kind of lose hope. They tracked them at least to this area, but then the tracks kind of ran out. There are two young Navajo warriors. They're walking through an offshoot of this canyon, and all of a sudden, one of them feels incredibly warm. And he goes, what? Where'd that come from? And he's looking around. And he looks up at the sun. He's like, no, that's not it. <laughs> that giant fireball in the sky, that's not what's making me warm. I feel warmer on my ankles and my knees and my thighs than I do on my head and my torso. The point is, he realized the heat was coming from underground. I don't know why I told that in the most convoluted way. But he realizes it feels hotter where he's standing. He looks down and there's a hole in the ground. And he motions over silently his other teammate, and they realize that the camp is underground. They're literally on top of the Apache hideout. So they go back and they tell the rest of the warriors, hey, we figured out where they're at. There's, there has to be a cave underground, and we could feel the flame from the fire. We could feel that coming up through the hole in the ground. So the Navajo warriors begin searching for the mouth of this cave, and they find it. They find the mouth of the cave. There's about 40 Apache warriors in there and their horses. So it's a massive cave. And then all those go, okay, we got to be smart about this. Let's set the mouth of the cave on fire. We'll smoke them out. By the time they come out, they'll be like <laughs> coughing and everything. Maybe kind of burned, right? No one, wants to, no one wants to fight when they have a bad burn. So this is perfect. So they start gathering all the sagebrush and driftwood they can find. They put it in the mouth of the cave and they light it on fire. Now the Apache warriors are sitting in the cave and they're like, man, this sure was a good plan to hide out under the earth. That's a great plan, right? Until, <laughs> until there's only one way out and one way in and smoke begins billowing in. They immediately know that they're under siege. They totally figured this out. And so they're trying to like, Fight the flames, and this is what they do. First, they're throwing all their water on the fire. They get close to the entrance. They're trying to put the fire out. Then all the warriors are standing on the other side being like, you have probably a good chuckle about this, right? <laughs> As people are slowly suffocating, they're like, better you than me, buddy. They're trying to throw all of their water on it. They run out of water. They didn't bring enough water in there to put out a giant fire. So then they slit the throats of their horses and begin throwing horse blood on the fire to help put the fire out. I don't know how much blood a horse has, but I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess it's a lot. But here's the thing. like, Let's say I cut a horse's throat and he's bleeding. Let's do a math problem here. A word math problem. Blood squirting out of the horse's neck. Sure. But it's not like a fire extinguisher. It's not like a pest dispenser. I can like hold the mouth up and go spray, spray it back and forth on the base of the fire. You would have to get the blood in some sort of bucket and then you're throwing the bucket on the fire. And then you would run like you're doing like throwing the blood in the bucket, throwing it on the fire. And then you, that doesn't work. So you need more. So then you go keep going back to the horse and getting blood. The whole time blood. You're like, Jason, this is so gross. Please, please go to where there's ghosts. Please start. 
I did not turn on your podcast to hear you try to describe in graphic detail, mind you, on how to put out a fire using a horse's arterial blood. What I'm saying is there'd be a lot of waste. Unless you literally had the horses right next to it, it was shooting out of their veins onto the fire. You'd keep scooping it, and you'd be like slipping on the blood. It'd be kind of hilarious to watch, actually. The Navajo really missed out on this spectacle. That doesn't work. But the surprise, surprisingly, right, that doesn't work. But they also say what we'll do is we'll move the horses' carcasses to block the smoke. So they're building like a wall of dead horses in front of the mouth of the cave. And then finally, there's an Apache warrior being like, this is madness. This is making no sense at all. Like, we're just blocking ourselves in with a bunch of dead horses that are going to get cooked eventually, and then we're going to be super hungry, and then there's just going to be more fire pouring through. So he actually forces his way through the horse guts and through the burning woods, and he hops on the other side, and he tells the Navajos, listen, that was a great plan. That was a really good plan. We should have had a defense against this. They actually did have two watchmen. I should have given the Apache more credit. There were two watchmen at the mouth of the cave that were killed before this whole thing started. But the Apache warrior goes, good plan. Really good plan. We give up. Like, let's do this whole sue for peace thing that we've talked about that our tribes have in relation to each other. We will give you everything we have, plus the stuff that we raided, if you let us go. And the Navajo goes, that is, we consider that just. And the Apache warrior goes, okay. So he starts kind of like kicking dirt on the fire and stuff like that. He's like, okay, so we'll put this out. Hey guys, we're good. We're good down there. And then the Navajo go, oh, 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 yeah, we'll do that whole thing. But also, how are those three girls doing? Those three girls that you kidnapped. And the Apache warrior is like, uh, he doesn't want to answer. He does not want to answer. And the Navajo know at this point that those three girls have been killed. They weren't even killed in the initial combat of the village raid. They were killed after the fact, and most likely other horrible things happened to them. So the Navajo, because the three girls are dead, deals off, and they just start they start shooting arrows into the cave. They relight the fire as they're smoking these guys out and just massacring anyone, who, including the guy who had popped out of the cave. They start to hear Apache death songs emanate from the bowels of the cave because they know that their time is up. And eventually, they are all slaughtered. Once the smoke is cleared, they move aside the wall of dead horses and steal everything back from the Apaches. There was 42 of them in total, all dead. From that point on, this was considered a cursed cave for nearby Apache tribes. They refused to use it. As settlers began to come into Arizona, they would say, hey, you know, this pretty cool place. Sure, it's super hot all the time, and it's kind of this barren wasteland. We're surprised that you want to come here, but don't go to that cave. You know that place that is called Canyon Diablo? Don't go there, because it's cursed. It's a cursed cave. A bunch of people died there, and the European settlers were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So they began to put up cabins in the area, and At night, you could hear the sounds of the dead and the damned coming from that cave. It sounds like a a spooky sounds tape that you hear on Halloween. And they were like, okay, that's kind of spooky. I just won't go by that cave at night anymore. But what they started to realize was they would often hear footsteps walk around their cabin late at night. So it was considered a cursed place for a very, very long time. And to this day, people still like to go out there and explore the remnants of the Arizona Death Cave is how it's known. 
can't go into the cave itself, but you can walk in the area above the cave and you can hear these legends about what happened underneath your feet. This haunted, cursed ground. Or can you? This was a super interesting story because that alone was really fun to read and really fun to tell you about. But as I began to research this, I found out a little bit more about this cave. This location is where Highway 40 is. It's between Flagstaff and Winslow. There's a place called Two Guns Interchange. It was pretty much just a small western town at a certain point. And then it became a gas station slash gift shop at some point. And then, like in the 50s, and then it became a gas station gift shop slash zoo. Which just sounds like the greatest place to ever stop. It doesn't exist anymore. If all of a sudden you're hopping in your car to drive out there, it doesn't exist anymore. It's just ruins. But you can still visit these ruins. Two guns interchange. Gas station, zoo, gift shop. And the gift shop would sell trinkets that were supposedly from the death cave. Which would be considered illegal. But 1950s people weren't really caring about that stuff. And so there were some people who said it was just a... A tourist trap. That the Death Cave story didn't exist. And other people were like, no, no, no. The Death Cave story's been around for a long time. I remember hearing about that story back when I was a kid. Other people were like, hey, it's probably just a tall tale. Well, there is a journalist named Blue Miller who has a blog called Never Quite Lost. And Blue really dug into this story of the Arizona Death Cave. Fascinating backstory to a fascinating story. The story of the Arizona Death Cave did not exist until the year 1967. There is no trace of this story being told before 1967. It was written in, it was in an article written in Big West Magazine by Maurice Kildare. And then in 1968, there was a book written called Two Guns, Arizona. That was written by a man named Gladwell Richardson. And in that book, also tells the story of the Arizona Death Cave. And every other story about Arizona Death Cave can be traced back to that article and that book. But Maurice Kildare is a pseudonym for Gladwell Richardson. So Gladwell Richardson wrote both the article and then a year later, the book that's a collection of short stories that is about Two Guns, Arizona. And one of those short stories is the Apache Death Cave. Some of you may recognize the name Gladwell Richardson. He's written hundreds of stories about the West, nonfiction and fiction. So, but it, so it would make sense, right, that a guy who really loves Western culture, cowboys and Indians, would write about the Apache Death Cave. Just the fact that it wasn't written until 1967 doesn't necessarily mean it's not true. He may have heard it. It may have just been a tale being told in the community. And because he's writing a book about Two Guns, Arizona, he tells the story. That's not unheard of. But the story goes a little bit deeper than that. In 1950, Gladwell Richardson's dad bought Two Guns, Arizona. He bought that little piece of land with the gas station slash zoo slash gift shop on it. He bought the little patch of land with the gas station. And so Gladwell Richardson actually has financial stake in Two Guns, Arizona. Now you go, okay, fine. He's still in the area. That would make sense that he would hear these tales. It doesn't mean that it's fictional. And that's true. It does not necessarily mean it's fictional. It does make it look more like the tourist trap argument. 
Because otherwise, it's just this little mini-mart in the middle of nowhere. But if it's the location of the Apache Death Cave and where Billy the Kid hung out, which that turned out not to be true. We know that's not true. He was in another state when Gladwell said that he was supposed to be in Canyon Diablo. So we know that part's not true. But the Apache Death Cave may be true. He's in the area. He's hearing these stories. But that's not where the story of Gladwell Richardson ends. To see where it ends, or... I don't even know. To see the, the twist, we have to go back in time even further. This story's so bizarre, and thank you, Blue Miller, for, for digging this up. It turns out on April 23rd, 1923, Gladwell Richardson was arrested. He's 19 years old at this time. This is long before his dad buys two guns, Arizona. He's a 19-year-old kid. He's in the Navy. He's supposed to be on the USS Vigilant, a ship that's stationed outside of San Francisco. But in 1923, he's in Phoenix, Arizona. He's dressed like a hobo, and he's riding in a rail car. And the rail authorities, when they're checking the cars, they find this bomb in there. And they pull him off, and on his possession is a diary. And one of the, I don't even know, like, legally you can't do this. But again, this is 1923. As they're pulling this bum off, the dude's reading his diary. <laughs> He's like, ah, dear diary, today I had my first kiss. He's going through the diary, and he finds this story in Gladwell's diary. Dear diary, I just had to leave San Francisco. You won't believe the horrible thing that happened to me. I had gotten off my ship. I'm walking through San Francisco. And a man shows up. He seemed a little nervous, a little excited. And he offers me a night in a hotel room. And I'm thinking, well, golly, that sure sounds nice. I don't, I don't think there's anything homosexual about this at all. So I go up into the hotel room with this guy. And it was the bee's knees. We we're just sitting there. I don't know, it's 1923. What would you do in a hotel room with a total stranger? It's not like you could sit and watch Deep Space Nine. We just sat there and we stared at a blank wall. It sure was swell. And then I went to sleep. And at 3.30 in the morning, that man, that dangerous man, he aroused me. (laughs) Not that way. I'm in the old-timey way where he woke me from my sleep, but he sure had arousal on his mind. He wanted to have carnal relations with me but i didn't want to do it i didn't want to do a diary forget forget those other entries where i talked about kissing clark gable i was infuriated and i grabbed a spittoon off the floor because it's 1923 and those came standard in hotels i picked a spittoon off the floor and i bashed his head in with it sure he got a few good licks in and again not sexual that's old timey for punches but I used this spittoon and I beat him so badly. I actually at one point hit him and his head got wedged in between the metal bars of the bed frame. Like the headboard of the bed thing. His head got wedged in there. And I bounced. I saw him kind of just wiggle there for a bit and I got out of there. Well, wouldn't you believe it? On the very next day, I found out that that man... That I hit with a spittoon. <laughs> I hit with a metal object several times in the head. And left with his brain <laughs> wedged into two metal pipes. Would you believe that? Golly, he died. And he was a rabbi. 
So all the police knew, all they knew was that a religious figure at a hotel had his brains bashed in and was left to die slowly. What monster could do such a thing? And I knew no one would believe me. So I sold my clothes and bought the bummiest clothes I could find and hopped on the rail. And diary, I hope no one ever knows my secret. And the police are like, uh, <laughs> like, okay. This has to be real. So the train officials got in touch with the San Francisco Police Department and say, you don't happen to be working on a case about a rabbi that got murdered, right? Got his head stuck in a headboard, and they, like, described it perfectly. And the, I mean, this is 1923, so I'm assuming it was all telegram. But in San Francisco, they picked it up, and they're like, uh, we need to go to Arizona right now. That was the exact murder that they were investigating. The entry in the diary was true. So he went to trial for this. And his argument at first was, there was work of fiction. I made it up. I totally made it up. And people were like, well, you made it up exactly like a real crime. So then he goes, okay, okay. I was hoping I was hoping you guys were all idiots. But apparently you aren't. You guys are very, very smart. And they're like, ooh, he's complimenting us. He goes, it did happen, but it was self-defense. I was afraid I was going to get raped. So I beat his head in with a spittoon. And he goes to trial... And he is found not guilty. It was self-defense that he beat this man to death with this spittoon. The Apache death cave story may be true. And hopefully it is true. I'm not saying that I hope. I'm not saying that I hope a Navajo camp was destroyed and a bunch of Apache warriors were brutally killed. I'm saying that it sounds cool. We want it to be true. It may not be. There are a little inconsistencies there. The fact that it was never told until it was written by a guy who owned the area. Stepping back from that, we have an actual true story that's been lost to time. Blue Miller said no one ever brought this story up during Gladwell's career about this murder charge and acquittal. No, it was never in any of his like biographies, anything. I mean, you're not going to be like, Gladwell Richardson wrote 300 books and he murdered a rabbi. You can buy more of his books at penguins.com. Like, you normally aren't going to include that. It's such an obscure footnote in his life, that it disappeared. A man writes a story about a cave that may be fake to help his father's business is the same man who writes a story and says it's fictional about killing a rabbi who tried to rape him, but that story turned out to be true. The whole thing is bizarre. The whole package is bizarre. The Arizona Death Cave is just a great ghost story. But the blood and the guts come from a true crime case involving the author himself. And that type of winding path would seem completely unbelievable if you read it in a novel. There's no way that chain of events could happen. Sometimes truth truly is stranger than fiction. deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun. And I'm going to give you guys a little advice. Stop drinking caffeine for like a couple months. 
then drink some. And then make yourself a cup of coffee. I um, am running out of drinks. I'm not a water drinker. And I have um, instant coffee. And that is like water, but without the gross non-taste. So I've made some instant coffee and my eyeballs are... (laughs) My eyeballs are popping out of my head like Judge Doom. So yeah, if you don't... I gave up caffeine a while ago. I've had sips here and there. Not much. A Diet Pepsi every once in a while. But um, yeah, I feel like... Um, I feel like I'm 10 and I fell into a vat of chocolate. I feel like Augustus Glump or whatever that kid's name was. Speaking of falling into chocolate, (laughs) segue, coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now, covered in the delicious, gooey, dark substance we all know and look at. 